Welcome to The Truth in His Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today, I'm excited to be in conversation with my next guest, an arts writer and emerging curator at Beacon Gallery, who specializes in Black modern and contemporary art and champions equality and collectivism in her work while being featured in various esteemed publications. Please welcome Chinoa Baker. Welcome to the podcast. I'm good. How are you? I'm 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 enthused. I'm a little sore. Uh I was doing the the workout stuff earlier. Um and, and it, it relates, right? Um I ask at times at the end of this podcast, um, when I do the rapid fire questions, I'll ask people, um, self-care check-in, you know, like, did you eat today? You know, what'd you have for breakfast? How many hours of sleep are you getting? And I know for me, the days, you know, have gotten really weird. Communication's gotten really weird recently, but I'll say with sort of being able to um, spend time in the gym and spend a little time towards that fitness. It's like, at least I got that out of the way. And you start checking off boxes, like from the little list of like things to do. So I feel, I feel good. I feel like I've accomplished at least something today. That's good. Yeah. I'm not really a big working out person, but I understand how that's a place for self-care for a lot of people. Yeah. 100%. I mean, also I made myself lunch today too. It was really, really good. So you know, as I start off um, in, in this sort of like interview and in this conversation, um, I want to ask about the origin story. I'm always interested in because I was asked this today, actually, for an interview uh, for a magazine. I was like, ah, oh, man, it's usually me asking this question. So and sticking in that theme, I'll ask you the question. What is your origin story as it relates to art? What was your first art experience? And um, yeah, please, please indulge us. Yeah, actually, when you first um, proposed this question, it almost reminded me of like villain stories or like hero origin stories. <laughs> so hopefully this is a, you know, not a villain or hero origin story, but just, you know, civilian. Um, but I would say that um, my first experience with art was my father. So my father is a photographer, um, mostly lifestyle photography and photojournalism. And um, so that really um, inspired me more than I thought it did originally, um, because I was the type of person in high school, like there were three different things that I feel like I wanted to do with as a career. And, and it continued to evolve and change. Um, I would say, like, at first, none of them started in the arts. Um, when I graduated high school, I wanted to work at a think tank. So I went into undergrad um, with a political science track and very quickly like took in an art history course yeah. um, because for, for our gen eds, we had to take um, some sort of art credit and took an art history course for the first time, fell in love with it. I feel like it really clicked for me and the type of person where I would say I'm a combination learner and it just really engaged my like visual learning in a way that I haven't before. Um, so I would say that kind of changed the trajectory a little bit. Um, also, I would say that that's informed the work that I do, starting out in a political science track, because um, I kind of see museums and galleries and art spaces as um, think tanks, but in, in the arts instead of in politics and how they foster meaningful dialogue. So um, that's kind of how I got here. Um, and, and it's an interesting, like, kind of roundabout story just because, like, my dad being an artist, it never really occurred to me that that would be um, part of my career path. 
Thank you. Um, it's, it's, it's really, it's always something to kind of tap into it. And yeah, I wrote that intentionally to sound like a villain origin story, but it is, um, it is interesting to see like some of those, um, early points, um, whether it is from relatives, whether it is from an experience, um, you know, I was writing earlier about really being into comics when I was younger and wanting to be a comic book like illustrator. And it didn't really work out in that way. And always kind of looking for maybe my voice, but also looking to do something creative. And it led to me going down sort of this path. And I've been doing podcasts like this podcast is like about four years old, but I've been podcasting for 14 years. And it's just like, Oh, this is this is my thing. And really being able to extend and see what it is. And through these conversations, really kind of relearning or maybe uncovering or being reintroduced to some of these ideas of, hey, I was on stage for some some sort of talk when I was really young. And it's like, oh, that was kind of me podcasting when I was like four or five or something. And just really coming to that conclusion. So it's very um, interesting to talk with folks and seeing some of those early uh, entry points for creativity and art. Yeah, I love that. I would say like everything that I feel like I've gone through has gotten me to this point. Um, even if it's doesn't feel like it's related at all, just like you were saying, um, I was like the type of kid who was afraid to talk in front of people. And I did a lot of um, model United Nations and like debate in school. Like it started off like I would get in front of people and then just just cry. Um, (laughs) So I think model UN really helped me with like artist talks, curatorial talks now, and just being able to, to have more confidence talking with people. Yeah. And so, so let's, let's, let's talk about that a little bit, the uh, curatorial sort of career approach and some of the themes and some of the work that you're, you're focusing on. I see um, equity, I see collectivism. So talk about like some of those like ideas, why they were of interest for you um, and from this sort of curatorial like background approach. Yeah, I think some of it is personality driven and just experience driven for me. Um, And I can maybe talk about how they manifest in my work a little bit, too. Um, I would say that I love organizing group shows um, just because I believe in like multiple people contributing to the same story or narrative. Um, So like that's kind of my reasoning behind it. But I just, you know, have always uh, loved um, getting multiple people together and um, communicating about a topic, in this case, more visually. Um, I would also say that um, in my current role as the associate curator at Beacon Gallery, I'm um, kind of in in a new place that I've been in the past, meaning I've mostly worked at uh, museums and uh, predominantly nonprofit institutions. And um, so this role has really kind of challenged those ideas or given me a new avenue to express like the ideas of equity and collectivism. Um, in my current role, I see it as like diver- divesting and resource rich um, institutions. So in that case, being the gallery, being, you know, the connections that I have through working at a gallery and really investing into community members. So if possible, um, like investing into starting with the area where the gallery is in the South End, which is kind of this gentrifying area in Boston, which is probably not as unique <laughs> as it as it sounds, like pretty much all over 
in, in cities all over the U.S., there's gentrification and, and violence um, through just economic inequality. Sure. And um, I, I would say, like, through the work that we do, we try to partner with organizations serving that community. So an example of that is bringing in an artist in residence from Pittsburgh, and she's doing work. Uh, her name is Naomi Chambers. She's doing work with United South End Settlements. And um, that's an organization, a nonprofit devoted to um, helping uh, folks in poverty in, in the South End. That's that's great. It's it's. um. I think you you definitely like touched on something there where it's a lot of cities that are running into sort of these these challenges that are out there and it's like how how does one like allocate some of these resources like we're we're, we're talking about it like now um here in Baltimore where I'm based and you know I was literally just on a chat with one of my buddies voice chat cuz we, we don't talk on phones anymore uh, even though that's talking on a phone but um I was just like, man, people don't have the vision, man. And he's like, what do you mean? And I'm really going down this whole like list. And I see other cities who have like sort of interesting ideas. And I see what maybe we're doing here that may not work. And I find that some folks do sort of band-aids and not really thinking in this radical way of how can we maybe shift resources to this community? How can we partner with this community and include that community when we're facing things of really quick and wide sweeping change that has sort of folks in the community that's doing the work, that's doing different work, whether it's art, whether it's community building, what have you, they just roll their eyes. They're like, hmm, I don't know if you guys are really doing it. I don't know if you guys are really doing the work because they're not working with those partners. Right. Yeah. I think it's all about like keeping everyone accountable, including, including yourself, obviously, but the institutions like that I'm, that I'm working for and something that I've uh, heard about in DC, there's an organization called Latella Curatorial where they've um, worked with hotels that are gentrifying uh, the DC area and have um, partnered with them to um, basically make acquisitions from artists from the community and making that as a way that they have to be accountable to financially uh, support people who like live and work in, in DC. So hopefully that's like the dream to get to that point yeah. and to really keep um, Boston and Boston institutions accountable to, to do that. And hopefully more institutions beyond just, just this area. So, so what is that the landscape up there like that? Cause you know, I've been doing this, I'm based in Baltimore, but I've been doing this sort of series of, all right, what cities do I have interest in? Who's doing some interesting stuff? And I had this big question mark on Boston for a while, and I was going to come up there, and then we hit some snags, but I still have it on the list. So so tell me about that. Like, from from your vantage point, what are you seeing? Like, where where is the really interesting stuff being made? Who's doing interesting work? Um, you know, just from your vantage point. It's not, you know, the monolithic or all-encompassing, but from your vantage point. Yeah, I think to, like kind of describe how I see Boston, it's important to name that I'm a transplant here. So I've lived, I grew up, um, was born and grew up in Syracuse, New York, then moved to uh, Pittsburgh, and then moved here. Um, and all these cities are different, but it informs like how I view Boston, um, because Boston, I would say, out of those three cities is very expensive. I would say it's very institutionalized. Um, Whereas like, um, I would say that Pittsburgh is much more artist run 
than here. Um, here it's more of like a community of curators and museum folks. And I mean, there are artists everywhere, but I feel like there isn't the same amount of support for that. Um, in terms of like makers who are inspiring me, I would say that there's a lot of um, like elder artists who've been here in the community for so many years and they're often overlooked. So um, one of them being um, Mr. Napoleon Jones Henderson. So he was a part of Afrocobra and he's an absolute gem and he lives in Roxbury in, in Boston. Um, I would also say Paul Goodnight. I had a like wonderful studio visit with him a couple weeks ago and there's just so many folks here, so many creative folks. Um, another thing I really love about the city is just how um, adaptive and uh, smart a lot of artists are. Not saying that that's not anywhere else, but um, I would say like to survive in Boston, it takes a certain type of hustle where it, you know, it kind of changes how you are as a maker, um, which I think can be really interesting. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, I, you know, that's just sheer curiosity there for me. And, uh, you know, I think that, you know, folks don't have a sense of maybe what a place is like. So hearing it from someone who's been there, they're going to have one perspective or even hearing it from someone who is a transplant, who's moved in there, but definitely is is working with a certain slice of the community. It's, it's always interesting to get that take. And um, I like to look at one of the, the byproducts of this podcast is you know, being able to connect communities, you know, through, through arts, through creativity or what have you. So talk about, if you will, um, you know, some of those traits that you're, you're looking for from, you know, artists that you want to work with for exhibitions that you're looking to, to work on or galleries you're looking to work with, um, doing, doing your like career or have you. And what are you looking for from like potential collaborators? And I think you touched on it a little bit earlier, but what are some of those traits that you're looking for? Anyone that's in that sort of sphere of who you'd work with? Yeah, I think um, this question is multi-tiered almost because like look, what I'm looking from, uh, look what I'm looking for from artists is different maybe than what I'm looking for from institutions. I would say for artists, I'm really inspired by folks who have, um, uh, in-depth research-based practice yeah. and folks who are very, um, this is a newer term to me, but I, I've kind of like, I went to a, a writing workshop for curators called material intelligence. And I feel like even that term, I look for that with artists, artists who are just really, um, in tune with their craft, whichever craft that may be, like if they, are um, a weaver that they know so much about um, what materials they use, how they do it, and just kind of like their intimacy with the work that they do to me is exciting as a curator. Um, what I'm looking for from institutions, I would say I ask a lot of questions at first of like why they may bring me in as, as a consultant, um, kind of what, what purpose does that serve? How do they... Um, how are they accountable to community? What does that look like? I would say that um, an example of that is working on Touching Roots, um, Black Ancestral Legacies in the Americas. It's an exhibition that's currently up until May of this year at the MFA Boston. Um, part of my role there being uh, in a cohort of, I believe it was like four 
four of us, and we gave our um, thoughts and opinions about the curatorial process and interpretation for the show. Um, us being there, we really challenged what does a group of advisors really do? Like how much power do we have? Can we um, suggest artworks to be in the show? Can we change the title of the show? Like the power dynamic is so interesting because it's it's like being paired with a curator, um, but in your own right, being artists, curators, creatives yourself. And then, um, you know, an institution bringing us all in one room uh, with the purpose of making this exhibition great. Um, but what what does that actually look like in actuality? Oh, that's that's it's a really, really interesting way to kind of present that because I never really thought about it that way. Like, oh, yeah. Like, so what what sort of power do we have here? What do you really want for us and from us rather? What does this relationship look like? And you know, from this standpoint of, and, and this is, this is how it really, I suppose, um, you know, being in this spot of like to- doing storytelling and facilitating storytelling, there are some offers that go down in the DMs and in the emails and say, like, oh yeah, man, we really want to tap into this community and we see that you have a pulse on it. It's like, mm, how do you see this going? What do you really, really want from it? And having to be very specific on how I want that the relationship maybe to look because if you get this trust to have people on and you're doing sort of this research and I think you know there are people that have of various levels that are on this podcast or that you're collaborating with that you work with and you know when someone reaches out you want to make sure you get it right you want to make sure that you're putting sort of this for better or for worse stamp of approval on the thing that's that's the way I relate to it I suppose yeah I would definitely agree with that I think um kind of as a personal value, integrity is super important to me. So um, I am not the type of person who will like get behind a project that um, feels like it compromises that in some way. Um, I feel like I have to be accountable to not only the community that I'm in, but, you know, the family that I'm a part of, like every every level from uh, micro to macro uh, levels of accountability and, um, yeah, if something doesn't feel right, I, I definitely, I definitely don't do it. And 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 it's funny because like I've I've had to ask, ask like answer like these sorts of questions as well of you know in doing well over five hundred episodes of this podcast, most of which have been Baltimore. You know, I'll, I'll get you know questions of like, so why are you going to this city? Why are you talking to folks in this city? It's like because it has my interest, and it's like that's sort of the non-starter side of it. But when it goes to, I might, there, there's a little bit of tokenism, I suppose. I, it, that definitely goes to the sort of value conversations. Like, hmm, I don't know. I don't know if that fits. Uh, that check looks great. That opportunity is really cool, but don't know if it fits. But when it comes to maybe what my vision is and kind of fully seeing that, that's important to me, as well as kind of like having sort of those scruples and and being able to look at myself in the mirror or hear my my voice. Sometimes you can almost hear when an interview is so mid. It's like, oh, he didn't hear it all. You can hear it. I, I hear it when I'm editing and I'm going back through it. It's like, I did that for the check? <laughs> yeah, and I feel like I mean I've made some decisions that maybe other people wouldn't make. A lot of I would say like walk by by faith 
decisions that I've made. Um, I'm sure we'll probably get into this a little bit later, but I had a museum fellowship at the ICA and it was supposed to be for two years. Um, it was in both um, education and curatorial um, to work on uh, all Simone Lee related exhibitions, which I'll you know keep the details of those exhibitions confidential. But um, I, I will say like it, I was there for about a year and um, the fit didn't feel quite right for me personally. And from there kind of um, like recrafted my career path a little bit. Um, It's more, I would say now entrepreneurial where I like work at the gallery. That's my home base, but I'm able to do all these other consultant projects and, and writing. And that really fuels me, even though I feel like, you know, um, kind of like graduating from college, they really ingrain into you that a nine to five is the measure of success when that may not be true for you. It just really depends on the person. So yeah, I would definitely say that, um, a lot of those decisions, all I do is just pray through it, try and do what feels right. Yeah. And, um, I like that. Um, and definitely this, notion of the the sort of college experience and having coming out and it's like oh yeah do this this is safe and you know i pursued business versus art as a result of that and you know now i'm sort of at this stage where i'm so busy from this sort of creative work you know doing different things and trying to do so much more and planning trips to go to places to talk to people specifically about their work and because i think it's it's a different it hits different when you're at the person's studio, you know, I would imagine you, you encounter that during studio visits. And, um, so doing that, and I don't know if the nine to five really fits that configuration because I'm doing both almost full time. And it's just like, ah, I'm being pulled apart almost in some ways, but definitely having that desire and trying to break sort of that, um, that, that the mentality of the nine to five, that's the safe thing. Be safe. It's like, sometimes you gotta, you know, just, just go with it. And just figure out where it goes. Be be smart, you know. Think things through. Be considerate in that 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 regard. But really, sometimes you just have to go for it because sometimes it might not make sense at the moment. But if you're doing it for the right reasons and you feel like it's sound, give it a shot. Yeah, and I feel like there's definitely like a season to everything too. Because I, even though um, you know, nine to fives, at least my experience, at least with the ICA, um, wasn't quite for me it's definitely positioned me to be where I am today. So again, like in its season, it was great for me. I hear you on that. So let, let's talk about writing a little bit. So just discuss your, your, your writing process a bit. Like why, like art criticism? Like let's talk about that a little bit. And and I've seen some some well-known names, uh, you know, that your work has been featured in. Uh, maybe some interviews hint, hint that are coming up a little bit later of folks that I've interviewed from these publications. So um, talk about that experience and like, you know, why like art criticism and sort of your writing process. Yeah. Um, well, I can try and paint the picture from the beginning. Please. Um this was the when I started writing publicly, it was 2020 during the pandemic where, um, you know, I was kind of I was working over the summer being um, like as a sign language instructor and camp instructor, basically um, in Syracuse. And that didn't work out because of the pandemic and enrollment and other things that happened. But um, basically, I was out of job in 2020. 
and um, kind of wanted to develop my writing a bit more. So I started interning at a place called um, Aiken House in Pittsburgh, but I did it virtually. And it taught me like a lot of skills about blog writing and writing for different clientele. Um, So it's a very different type of writing than I do typically today. I like to write about what fuels me and is more interesting to me than directly for clients, Um, even though I I do that sometimes too. Um, But yeah, so that's kind of how it started out. Um, Actually, even before that, a thread that's important to mention is like when I was in ninth grade, um, my dad's background is in journalism. So when I was in ninth grade, I wrote like an essay on the autobiography of Malcolm X. And this is one, like one of those transformative moments like in your life. Um, and I, I got like a B minus or something on the paper. And my dad like made me rewrite the paper and <laughs> sat down with like my English like teacher. So I think it wasn't a lot of people when they hear that story, they're like, wow, your parents are strict. But I think it's more about um, that he believed I could do better yeah. and wanted me to have that like internal drive. Like, no, this is I should do my best work with writing. Um, so those two things kind of led me to, uh, write a bit more at first. I, um, during that internship started to freelance a little bit for, um, sugarcane magazine. And, um, it was at first like taking things from my undergrad classes that I wasn't able to really fully explore, um, through writing and write about that. And then it just kind of blossomed into its own, um, beautiful thing, but also neurosis. Like I'm the type of person who who isn't happy if they're not constantly writing. So <laughs> I think I, I write a little bit too much and finally found like a home for it. And um, I would also say like income stream, like <laughs> to be really real. Love it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So like that's kind of how I arrived to uh, freelance writing. But since then have changed my goals a little bit of uh, wanting to write for places that I really align with in terms of my values. Um, also working on the craft of writing to be very consistent in my output. And I have like, you know, certain ways that I feel about that. Um, and then also I would say my approach to art criticism is different um, in that I really center like myself and my own experience that's something I feel like I was taught not to do in school, like never use, you know, first person pronouns and uh, don't talk about what you care about, say something in like more of an academic context or or something that's worth being talked about when it's, it's, it kind of felt like why aren't my interests worth being talked about and who's supposed to talk about them if I'm not the person to talk about them. So I think that's how my, my writings like shifted from there. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, I, I, I'll throw out there a few things. Um, it's, it's funny, like how much weird, because I'm not, a, I'm not the biggest and it sounds so ridiculous to say, I'm not the biggest reader. I, I consume audiobooks mostly. Um, so definitely, but you know, someone sends me something, I read it, but I'm not just like, man, I need to voraciously read this. But in those instances where I do read something, it's just like, I have that teacher eye. I was like, oh, that is an error. That is wrong. I saw something today where it's a it's an event here. I think it's some sort of art creed, whatever. And they spelled February February wrong. I'm like, look, it's the 20th, 21st day. Can we can we get it right? Just autocorrect? No? All right, then cool. And 
I, I see more and more of that. And I think sort of this rush to get things out there has made people just not put out really quality stuff, but they're always working on stuff as well. So it's like constantly putting stuff out there, but sometimes it's just from a structure, from a actuality standpoint, not good. And, you know, sort of the voracious thing, I'm kind of the same way when it comes to recording like this, this podcast, like last year, 2022, I put out 300 podcasts. I recorded probably 400. And like I said earlier, doing both things, it's a lot that's, that goes into it and it's hours that go into it and there's, and there's that time. But um, definitely the more, I guess, time and experience I have doing it, I have like a sort of sense of how do I want to approach this? Like I was saying before we got started, I know that I screw up a lot on this particular thing. So why have the guests encountered that? Be mindful of the guest time and just get to the conversation, the actual meat of it. And then in post, put all of that cool stuff in there that needs to be in there. So kind of learning that through the process of doing it and repetition and so on and always not really being satisfied with it. Not being as critical because I think it's important to, for us to be kind to ourselves as creatives, as artists, what have you, because everyone else is going to hate us. Everyone else is going to tell us, why does your opinion matter? And it's like, well, it does. I thought it does. Um, so, yeah, I definitely um, relate to that. I, I, I felt that. <laughs> yeah. And I think like, I don't know if this is the right form to ask you a question, but like, are you OK after like recording like 300 episodes? I feel like that's a lot. want to acknowledge that that's that's a lot of work. <laughs> it, it is. I, I'm okay, uh, but it is, it is definitely a lot. Um, but um, I, I sort of have the sort of get the bug, you know, where you have something that has you curious, and you're like, I want to see where this goes, where this rabbit hole goes. So that's that's really where it's at. And, and thank you for asking that, because it's just like you know how we have this thing sometimes, and this is one of the reasons why I've included the rapid fire questions in these podcasts. I think it's almost look like content. You know, we're just putting out content and not actually having conversations like this is contrived. We're meeting at a certain time and all. But really, there is an at least an attempt to have something that feels more of a natural, more of an organic sort of thing versus here's every question you can hear. Here's all of them. I copied them from a website, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, that's 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 really what it is. So. I have two more real questions for you. And then those aforementioned rapid fire questions are coming up right around the bend, speeding fast. Um, how do you stay up to date on, um, you know, artists, movements around the art world, like current events when it relates to art and relates to the work that you're you're working on? How do you stay up to date? Yeah, I would say a couple of different ways. Um, one is studio visits. I feel like that's the main way I try to be um, kind of in tune with what's going on and what artists are creating. Um, I would also say like, going on going to museums and gallery shows uh, as much as I'm able to and as much as feels healthy because also I want to say that like um it, it's a lot when the arts are your whole life but then you still want to like you know participate in it be part of like the ecosystem and and stay up to date but also take time off for self-care um so finding that balance is quite interesting. Um, and from a writing perspective, I would say like being an editor. So I've, um, I'm an editor with 60 inches from center. It's a collective in Chicago. Um, I'm 
one of the few East Coast based people, but it's great to like hear about what's going on specifically like in the Midwest from writers. So I'm able to, I, I feel like um, interviews and like editing are ways to really listen to people. That feels, yeah. feels nice to me at least. Um, so it's like, I'm, I'm being able to like read kind of what's going on, the, the art criticism that's happening um, specifically in Chicago, but Midwest in general. I would say those are the main ways I, I stay up to date. Although I am kind of like the, the person who's weary about um, like the folks who just constantly like read everything that comes out. They're at every show. They're going to like New York all the time. They're in LA all the time. And I'm just like, when do you breathe? You know, <laughs> so I feel like, again, the balance is really important to me. Bal- balance is, is super important. Um, I had this uh, <laughs> I had this thing where it's we're coming up on. I think it was a year ago where I went to like my first art fair and I was like, I don't have a long hair. It was very it was something right. And it was in New York. I'd never like been up there for that purpose. And I was doing some interviews and I'm like, I'm doing a lot. And and doing sort of the the social thing. That's not always sort of my thing, but I was like, all right, override it. Let's just make it happen. Let's do it. And I was like, yo, I don't know what to say here. I don't know what to do. It was like, I'm not just going to fake it here and have a conversation I know nothing about, but also people seem to be interested. I was like, I'm just a new person. I was like, that's what's happening. And I was like, everyone has been here before. I was like, this is, this is great. But also it was like nerve wracking. And, you know, luckily, because the plan was, um, this was a day trip and I was going to go back home like later that day. And then somehow something goofy with Amtrak where, um, I think my, my train back home got canceled. So I was like, I'm lightweight stranded and I didn't really confirm what I was going to do. So I had that extra stress sitting there and I was like, this is what it is. This is what traveling for this sort of art thing is. I was like, this is not going to be good. Luckily I hit my buddy up. He was um, he was like, dude, you can come to my place. You can crash and I'm buying pizza. I was like, OK, you you just saved me. You just you just saved everything I needed. But yeah, definitely, you know, at the end of that day and doing all those sort of running around, doing two interviews um, and, and being at this sort of like art fair, it it was and, and also navigating the New York train in New York. Uh, it was draining. And definitely i took off like three or four days from recording once i got back home it's just like i need to really switch that out um so the prospect of doing sort of that thing and just doing the the hustle and the run doesn't doesn't, it's not it's not long-term it's not a long-term thing you can't consistently do it i don't think at least that that sort of version of it so let's see i think i think i actually got everything that i that i needed so what I want to do is open it up for the the rapid fire portion of the podcast. These are ridiculous questions. I'm just gonna. I think I'm gonna record that. Just say these are ridiculous questions, <laughs> just so folks are aware. But they're fun questions. You'll enjoy them. I think. All right. Um. So, way, way rapid fire works. Quick answers. Don't overthink them. Don't overthink them. All right. Uh. First one. Are you an early bird or a night owl? Night owl. That's that's legit. Favorite color to wear? Don't really have one. Earth tones. Okay. That's legit. That's legit. I wear a lot of earth tones as well. A lot of, a lot of midpoints. A, a lot of that, uh, wear like a lot of ox blood, burgundy, what have you. Uh, let's see. Um, 
So fiction or nonfiction, like what sort of like if you're writing, what do you prefer? I mean, reading, what do you prefer? Maybe fiction, but it also depends on the mood and what I'm doing. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I think um, I haven't found um, like if I go deep into fiction, it's usually like science fiction, like Philip K. Dick. And it's like, yeah, let's just go to the speculative thing. Let's make it happen. And then you see like some of the roots of this stuff that's happening right now. You're like, oh, this is written in the 50s. We have that now. Oh, snap. What else is coming? <laughs> um, so let's say in terms of stories, right? Let's say whatever your favorite story is, would you prefer it adapted into the book version or the movie version? You know, some people will say the book is always better than the movie or what have you. Which one do you prefer? Like, is it some instances where you know, like the movie's pretty good, actually? Um, I would say I'm usually the person who likes the book, but I will say like, I really enjoyed Lovecraft Country, that TV show. And I I actually haven't read the book yet. So like, that's the only, probably one of the few things that I've watched where I haven't read the book beforehand. We we should talk after this thing, because there might be a full series of podcasts about that, that I did a little watch series. Uh, this is the last one I got for you. And I kind of let you know, I was going to ask you this earlier. How many hours of sleep do you get? It's a great question. Um, <laughs> it really depends. I would say on a good day, like six to eight hours. I really try and protect my sleep. Um, but I think I'm very busy recently. And I, I start to like kind of think a lot when it's time to go to sleep. So I'm like, I'm working on that. Oh, that's pretty much it um and, and thank you for for indulging the the rapid fire questions they're so dangerous i don't know i'm gonna add that to there too uh so i want to um open it up and um one and invite and encourage you one again i want to thank you for being on a podcast and two i want to invite and encourage you to tell the folks where they can check you out social media website all of that good stuff the floor is yours Thank you. Um, I guess you can follow me on Instagram, which is uh, my first name, C-H-E-N-O-A dot Baker dot 77. Um, so that's my Instagram. Terms of websites, I'm on LinkedIn. I know that's like maybe weird to plug, but like LinkedIn has, I don't know, it's been a pretty good place for me in terms of connecting with people. Um, yeah, I think that's probably the best way to to reach me. And there you have it, folks. I want to again thank Chinoa Baker for coming on. And I'm Rob Lee saying that there's art, culture in and around your neck of the woods. You just have to look for it. Mm-hmm.